0: This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network.
1: You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hi there, everyone. This is Mike
2: Lord. Oh, I thought we were going around that way. Sorry. (laughs) Hi there, everybody. This is Tom.
1: This is Stacy. And this is Simon. And you're listening to the most new episode of Tabletop Genesis. (laughs) I kind of lost that in the middle of there. So, we today are talking about Trick of the Tail, And for those of you paying attention at home, this is the last of the studio albums for Genesis that we're covering to this day. <laughs>
0: I'm
3: pretty sure this yeah, is yeah, it. So
1: You're very optimistic, aren't you? <laughs> you never know. It's, it's only 2020. There could be a new album coming out. Probably sooner than a Peter Gabriel album, right? So, <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So, anyway... So this was an album from 1976, first without Peter Gabriel. And Simon, let's hear what Wikipedia has to say about this fine album. A Trick
0: of the Tail is the seventh studio album by the English progressive rock band Genesis. It was released in February of 1976 on Charisma Records and was the first album to feature Phil Collins as their lead vocalist following the departure of Peter Gabriel. It was a critical and commercial success in the UK and the US, reaching number 3 and number 31 respectively. Following Gabriel's decision to leave the band, the remaining members wanted to carry on and show they could still write and record successful material. The group wrote and rehearsed new songs during mid 1975 and listened to around 400 audition tapes for a replacement frontman. Probably my dad as well. Mm -hmm. The path
1: is
4: clear, (laughs) though no
1: eyes can see.
0: You know him well.
5: How did you not get in, Mike?
0: They entered Trident Studios in October with producer David Henschel to record the album without a definitive idea of who was going to perform the lead vocals. Eventually, Collins was persuaded to sing Squonk, and the performance was so strong, he sang lead on the rest of the album. And the rest, as we all know... Is money.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So, well, this is, you know, for a transitional album, this is a pretty good transition, you have to say.
3: I think it's their strongest after a band member, you know, has departed.
2: Looking back at, like, obviously I was young. I was five years old at the time, so I had no recollection when, when this came out. But if you were a Genesis fan at this time, and you knew Peter left, and you're kind of a little bit worried about where the future would go, I couldn't imagine you would listen to this album and think, oh, they've lost it. They're gone. I, I, there's no way I could think that you'd listen to this album and not think, one, either they still have it,
5: mm-hmm.
2: or two, that you were enjoying their return to kind of like the Selling England kind of right. phase. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't see how you could listen to this and be like, they're gone. Like, there's no way that this album came out and they weren't moving forward with their sound.
1: Right.
0: And,
2: and I don't think how this would have disappointed any Genesis fan at the time.
0: And I have one bit of uh, Idle trivia for you. Yes. This was Princess Diana's favorite Genesis album. Oh,
3: really? I think it's a lot of people's favorite Genesis <laughs> album, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, just hearing from our listeners and just generally talking with other Genesis fans, this yeah. is always up there in, like, terms of best album they ever done or you know some of their favorite tracks are on this album. You never hear somebody say trick of the tail blows. Yeah. You
1: know, it's 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 something that at the very least people like it. And if it isn't kind of, you know, there's there's not a I'll say this right now. I'll I'll put my line in the sand and say there's not a bad track on this album. Right you know yeah i could certainly rank them in order which i'm sure we'll do at some point (laughs) Mm -hmm. but there's even even the worst track on this album still pretty good so with that we will now segue into the first of the dance numbers we'll be listening to today dance on a volcano
3: So as soon as this track starts, I'm like, holy shit, Peter who?
2: <laughs>
3: they came to play. Like, not even 30 seconds in, you yeah. know that they're like, we're here. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. And I love it. I love the energy of the song. Yeah. I love how it sets the tone for the whole album. Um, for me, this is a very close second to 11th Earl of Mars, their best um, album opener. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, all I have for this song is love and superlatives. It just, it punches me in the lady balls. (laughs) It is amazing. Well, that's,
1: you kind of see the truth of what Phil said when he was like, well, Peter's leaving. We can just be an instrumental band. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, and, and he kind of says that and the other guys are like, yeah, Phil will joke about that. But I think Phil is always like, yeah, I'm serious. We could have just been an instrumental band. And, and especially the opening bits of this, you're like. Yeah, they could just be an instrumental band. This really works both musically and then when the vocals kick in, you're like, holy mother of God. Yeah. <laughs> this is its own thing. Uh, not having been there when when this change happened, it's hard to say that, oh, I would have accepted it right away. But I remember in the Mike Keneally interview, he talked about first hearing dance of Von Hato on the, on the, on the radio and he was like, wow, this is, this is Genesis. Like, it was kind of an acceptance of it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Probably because Phil came from inside the
2: band, too. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And not to say that before this, it wasn't about the music. But obviously, when you have your lead singer, and for the most part, especially on the last album, the lead lyricist, like, they were focused solely on the music when they started writing this. So the second this starts off, it's so strong, I think, because they were concentrating so hard on the music. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, right off the bat, it gets you. And, and like Stacey said, I think it's one of their best album openers of, of any album. I think it's better to
0: quote Socrates here when uh, when he said, they gone, done, and brung
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> he was very known for that, uh, that kind of wordplay, too. I thought that
2: was Aristotle, but Socrates, uh, all okay. right.
3: And Tommy, you just you made me think. Like I haven't thought, I never thought of it that way because I think it's very well documented. If you are um, a follower of Genesis lore, that it was a very, very lengthy and exhaustive um, audition process they had for lead singer. Yeah. So I can imagine that, yeah, they they were focusing on getting the music and the arrangement. Um, as right as they could um, while that was all happening. Cause it wasn't until I think when the album was finished that Phil officially joined as their lead singer. So yeah. all the music was already done. I think there's 5,000 maybe time changes in the song. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> that
0: reminds me actually, um, if you uh, if you're very interested in a, in a sort of nerdy musical way um, about what this song is about and how it was put together We'd all like to recommend that you check out uh, a gentleman called Rick Beato who is has a YouTube channel and one of the uh, many things that he talks about is uh, he picks apart certain songs uh, under this series called What Makes This Song Great and episode 57 he takes apart Dance on a Volcano. That guy knows what he's talking about. He's a classically trained musician and he's a an award winning producer and he plays through all the parts individually and actually plays a lot of the stuff actually on guitar and keyboard as yeah. well. And I think it's, for me, it just goes to show exactly how good a, a bunch of songwriters they've become because this is a, an incredibly complex song made to sound very like it can flow from beginning to end seamlessly. Right.
1: Yeah, he almost like... With talking about just in the intro, there's, you know, different time changes in that thing. It goes from like 7-8 to 11-8 or some weird things. And there's a bar of six in the middle there or something. And you kind of go, well, just listening to it, I don't hear all that. I just kind of know the song well enough now from years that I know where the changes are.
0: I know that Rick buttons. Beato says that that within yeah. the first 10 seconds, there are three time changes yeah. going from 4-4 <laughs> to 11-16 mm-hmm.
1: to, I think, 7-8 as well. Right. And even somebody like, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I think probably the a lot of this stuff probably does come from Mike Rutherford at the start of it, that kind of 12-stringy, jangly type of figures there. He might not have even known what the time changes were. It's just how it sounded right to him when he was coming up with the bits, so... know it's there was that whole thing with turn it on again that phil was the one who said to him oh you know that's in 13 and he's like what are you talking about it's 4-4 and he didn't realize it that there was a dropped beat in there or something like that so you know sometimes musicians just play what feels right and this certainly you know the proof proof is in the pudding as they say and
0: but the very fact that all of this was hardwired into them yes is uh, you know, I think it's testament to the fact that they were um, a very at that point a very successful
2: and accomplished working unit. Yes, and I think any listener that was listening to this probably had the same feeling that Phil, Mike, and Tony had when they created this—that they've got something going here. Because this yeah. was, I think, one of the first stuff things they the worked first on,
1: on the first and it was just the three
2: it. of them because Steve was finishing his solo album. So I, I can imagine the feel in that room was that there's something here. Like, we don't have to worry about Peter gone. Yeah. You know, this is going to work. Yeah. Although, it's funny. Steve disputes
1: that, that he wasn't there for this. So, like, he said in interviews that he was like... He's like, I don't know why they say that. He's like, because I was there when they came up with this. Or so with... was I. Yeah, Me exactly. Too. And so... my wife, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Me too <laughs> over here. But it's like, but I wonder too if that's, I mean, again, people remember things differently, you know, from last week, let alone 30 years ago. But whether it's the first time that he was there, they had already run through it once or twice a previous day. And to him, it was like, oh, this is new. I hadn't heard this before, type of thing. So I kind of figure both of them could kind of be true. Steve feels like he was there at the beginning for it. And they were like, oh, Steve was a, like coming in the next day because he was finishing up whatever he was doing for Voyage of the Acolyte at the time. So So I have one question.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's it about? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It's dancing on a volcano. It's, it's. I, I tend to think it's about an adventurer... Caught in the middle of a volcanic eruption.
3: Yeah, there's a sense that there's uh, danger. It's very, um, uh, it moves very quick. I mean, it it, it suits the the music very well, right? Because it's uh, you know very punchy, and you know, and there's a lot of alliteration, and it kind of has a great rhythm like a dance um, yeah. in certain parts like the ho 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 and the hey <laughs> hey hey and all that um, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like Whoa. on the album hey. i practice that for hours
2: yeah. um, and part of it's from the perspective of the volcano like trying to get after this guy who's trying to climb yeah. it and challenge it saying do you want to dance with me like come on like yeah. i'm nature i've got more power than you mm-hmm. and i wasn't like, let the dance begin that's filled I don't exactly. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> It was nice. you all along.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so that's... Uh, the, do you have an inter- interpretation yourself, Simon? Do or you know, I've never even thought about it. Yeah.
0: I, I I could probably quote you every single lyric, but what? never considered the underlying meaning.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. You get a sense of the emotion of it, the urgency of it, without necessarily knowing, oh, what's it about? The, I, I always kind of figure the... In my head, the instrumental bit at the end is the dance, you know. Yeah. And you know, I'm always kind of disappointed that after um, the Trick of the Tail tour itself, they didn't do that bit anymore live. But uh but it was always it's it's one of those instrumental pieces that I'm like, I don't know how they came up with this because this is insane. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of these things that like how do you even rehearse something like this? But they obviously did, and it is shows that kind of telepathic relationship you have when you know you're playing with people for this long looking at this it's like they recorded this in october november 75 they ended the tour the for the lamb in may of 75 so that's four or five months that they had to kind of write and rehearse this stuff and then record it over two months and i'm sure some writing and rehearsing went in during those two months but that's not a long long period of time to generate an album's worth of material. Welcome to the 70s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah
3: that was the pace back then. And I think after, I mean, the, the Lamb was such a, when we talked about this in our two episodes, I think there was a lot of, there's an undercurrent of stress and closeness. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, at times it feels like it, they were suffocating mm-hmm. and this is just they just blew the doors open yeah. and it seems so much more open and free and they're just like letting the floodgates out
1: we don't have to um, deal with any pesky vocalists right now so.
0: <laughs> or also, costume changes yeah. also I think this is the very beginning of the jazz fusion Phil Collins yeah yes.
1: although you may make the argument too that uh, like uh, dancing with the moonlit night is a bit of that too
0: there is a little bit yeah, but the, this the actual yeah. sort of like the, the switch I suppose yeah because there are really three areas of phil collins there's the the tippy tappy uh mm-hmm. phil collins of the early years mm-hmm. there's the jazz fusion of the middle years mm-hmm. and then there's the barking tom's bombast of the later <laughs> years sure
1: yeah i think that's a that's a succinct breakdown of you know general styles with phil and i think that works and yeah this is you can see b- bits of brandettes in this and in los endos later on you know there's that's what phil could bring to the band that kind of a level of playing but also just that thought process of oh we could do this type of thing
0: and i think it also signaled his arrival in my personal opinion in the elite of drummers in Mm -hmm. the world um you know up, up until this point you know you had the the gads the the Billy Cobham's mm-hmm. the uh I don't know uh, John he, the John Bonham's and, and and the like and uh, and and the Bill Brufords as mm-hmm. well and and I do think that up until this point he was a very good drummer mm-hmm. but all of a sudden now he's poking into that upper echelon of drummers the guys that are genuinely defining how drums are played right. and sound well,
2: there, there's a bit right before there's a little instrumental section in the middle and right before it goes into On Your Left and On Your Right, there is a drum fill by Phil. Oh, yeah. Which is just... You can miss it if, you, if you're not listening carefully. It goes really yeah. fast. And it, On Your Left. So if you listen to it and you hear it, you're just like, where does he come up with that stuff? Mm-hmm.
3: And, yeah, that's a face-melting drum roll. And And you can tell that these guys
1: have... They just got off a however many month tour. You know, they've been playing. Phil continued to play with anybody who would have him between that that period of time. He had played on Steve's album in the meantime. I think he probably recorded eight Brand X albums in those couple months. And he was just one of these people who just lived behind his drum kit. And was already a really good drummer and became a fantastic drummer in this era. And throughout the seventies, coming after this, he
0: found another gear. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and not only Phil. You listen to everybody on this track. You know, this really is, you know, it's a band-written track. It's you know, everybody contributed in some way to this. Whatever day people showed up at this recording studio, it's like everybody kind of threw in their their. 10 cents into this uh, melting pot.
0: And here's another th- element of Dance on the Volcano. If you remember that Peter Gable really was a few years later arriving on the scene with his first solo album. I think it was 77 was mm-hmm. his first yep. solo album. So as a result, yeah. Genesis got the first shot in, I suppose yes. is the best way to describe it. But you could see that they were both laying claim to similar grounds that they had already kind of claimed even before Peter Gable left. I always thought that Peter Gabriel brought the creepy <laughs> sure. to to Genesis, yeah. whereas Genesis, the rest of Genesis, brought the playing. Mm-hmm. And you can hear, when you say you hear a track like Moribund the Burgomaster, the creep is all there. The Genesis yeah. creep is is in that track, yeah. in the same way that the sort of like the bombast and the virtuosity
1: is present in this song. And this is the album that you can see kind of the straight line from, Stacey alluded to this before too, The the straight line from selling england to this Mm -hmm. and with the lamb being almost an aberration kind of a a band from an alternate universe Mm -hmm. coming in and playing genesis for the for that album and like if the lamb didn't exist this would be an album that i'm like oh yeah this is a follow-up to selling england
5: yeah
1: so now we'll get entangled in the next track surprisingly called entangled
2: is a perfect match uh, between Steve's verses and Tony's chorus. I mean, I think that's, that's how it was written. Steve had these verses and Tony had this chorus and they, like peanut butter and chocolate, they somehow got mixed into <laughs> mixed in, mixed in together. Right. But it's just such an incredible song from the 12-string guitars and just Steve's kind of like strumming along and all of a sudden, like you know, we've mentioned before in other episodes where Steve will kind of take a nice piece and just do like a little chord change and it's kind of going into this world of something is not right and something is just off and that's kind of like it is here they're talking about all right we're going to help you feel better but we're going to do it in a weird way some psychoanalyst way weird dreams and it's just the whole feeling of the song is just very uh represented by like the chord changes and the different musical bits to it it's just fantastic it's just such a great song
0: and
1: it's a complete turning on on the head stylistically from the previous track as well. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's not another jazz fusion progressive workout. It's, yeah. it's a pretty 12-string guitar-based, you know, ballad for the want of a better word to call it. So. This
3: is, yeah, the best-sounding guitar work. Mm-hmm. Um, not the best, maybe the best guitar, like... Guitar playing, but just I love the sound of the guitars. Isn't Tony play twelve string on this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's them together, um, which is just gorgeous. And I always I love this track because um, I I was familiar with this album. This was um, actually funny enough. This was the last. Of the Genesis discography, I got when hmm. I learned that there was more than Invisible Touch, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I at the in the while I was going through that, I was getting familiar with Steve Hackett's solo work. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I heard Entangled, I was like, "Oh, this is such a Steve Hackett song." <laughs> like, just the lyrics are very much in because he wrote the verses, you said, yeah, mm-hmm. very much in his kind of wheelhouse and how yeah. he. Puts down his lyrics if it feels, and I think it's 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 a great contribution. Um, I do I I, I like the uh, the last um, four lines where it kind of turns on its head and says, "Oh, the nurse will present you the bill," and yeah.
1: I was going to ask about that because uh, basically the question: How do people like the joke? You know, at the end or kind of the twist? Yeah.
2: Well, Let I was I was that. a teen when I first got into this album. I don't know, 15, 16. and I'd listen to this. A few times. And I remember, I I don't know why I specifically remember it. The time that I realized that they were doing a joke at the end where they said, oh, and you'll catch your breath and and the nurse presents you the bill. I'm like, they're making a joke there. They're being funny. (laughs) And I, I thought I was so clever. I was like... But again, you know, I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm I'm there with you guys. But yeah, the sense of humor, as they say, you know, it's been like a mainstream through Genesis's career yeah. through, through songs here and there, Harold the Barrel, and anything she does. And here's one right in the middle of that uh, Entangled and I, I I I like it. I think it's cute.
1: I think I liked it more when I first heard it than now. Like maybe it's just like if you hear a joke 1800 times, you're like, yeah, it's not as funny. Um, I still like, I like the song in general. I love the song in general, but it's, it's kind of like, sometimes I think like, oh, I don't know if I want such a kind of pretty song to end with a joke that way. But then, but then I'm like, but it's fine. You know, it's like, I don't want to, that's a very, again, a very minor quibble for me. With this song that overall I think is great.
3: Don't worry about it because they continue the song after that line for like the best part of the whole song. Which is
1: always the part I assumed that Tony wrote that he had this keyboard melody bit. And then when I'm one of the interviews where they talked about that it was Tony's like chorus that he had this that matched the time signature of, of Steve's verses, it was like, oh, this. So I'm like, did maybe Steven? Tony come up with that melody together, the playing piece of it, or maybe it was a Tony piece. You know, that's I, I'm fascinated by that, and I think it's great. It's a beautiful, odd sounding melatron-ish chorus, mm-hmm. spookiness.
2: Thing. <laughs> one of the best outros that yeah. Genesis yeah. has had yeah. on one of their songs.
1: We will. Uh,
0: I mean, I'm fairly sure we'll find out when. Uh, uh, when we eventually kidnap him.
2: Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. So we'll That's the, the first
3: thing we're going to ask. We'll course. ask all the nerdy
1: <laughs> questions that musicians always like to answer. Who wrote which bit? Yeah. <laughs> they, they love talking about that, because most of the time I don't think they quite remember. <laughs> they probably remember what songs yeah.
3: are on this album. <laughs> That's right. Which song is that again? Oh, yeah.
2: But of course, one of the best parts of the song, and probably any Genesis moment of the song, is the bit where this builds up towards the end, there's a little bit of silence, and then Squonk just crashes right in. I think it's Stacy's favorite moment ever in Genesis. Yes, it is.
3: You are correct. It is the best part of this album. I was really upset that this space between Entangled and Squonk wasn't on the poll. That's I <laughs> wanted to vote for. Well, but, we'll, ha- we'll have to do
1: a special poll that is just about the spaces between albums
3: because you know and right now unfortunately because the record button's on I can't remember but I did like the other day <laughs> call the list of all of the the different like po- like the because I love the sequencing of, yes. of tracks for Genesis albums that's mm-hmm. like one of the nerdy p- things that I do like mm-hmm. uh, about and this the album is
0: faultless yeah yes.
3: absolutely faultless like if I this is I hate shuffling songs because when I hear like the end of dance of volcano i expect to hear entangled next because it it all flows together um but janice is always good about that not just like the the sequencing but knowing how long to kind of take that breath before Mm. okay starting the uh the next track um but the yeah the space between entangled and squonk are just gorgeous love it
1: well as we've talked about the space between entangled and squonk now We'll have to talk. We'll have to give some breath and allow the next song to happen. Squawk.
0: I think it's the best track on Three sides Slide. No, it's. Not. <laughs> a it, out, it's it is. It is one of those things where going from "Dance on the Volcano" to "Entangled" to "Squonk," it's like you hit it every single time.
1: Mm. Yeah, you're. It's. It's steady. It's a build. It's. It. It doesn't let you down anywhere. It's. A, it's carrying you along. So that you keep going. What's happening here? <laughs> like, what's the next thing that's going to impress me about this album? Oh, the very next second <laughs> is going to impress me. This is not going to stop anywhere. So, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. yeah, I love the energy of this track. It's and the whole the album the whole has a great energy. You know, there are some slow, more mm-hmm. you know, um, ballad moments here, but I mean, squonk is actually, I think. I don't know. So I go back and forth saying like which was their like their heaviest song, and I think hmm. it's squawk on uh, squawk, squawk, squawk. squawk, squawk. Is
1: that the Philadelphia coming out? Oh, I think it's the Jersey. Girl I think coming.
3: I think it's the beer coming out. Um, the squawk is definitely the I think the heaviest track on this album. I don't know, and maybe even overall, like it just has this like weight to
2: it. Well, that was as Phil said, that was his like John Bonham. Moment. Yeah, like because the, yeah. they all listened to Cashmere. I think it was Cashmere. That, like, and they were like, because they weren't really into the music listening scene, they're all focused, you know, blinders on doing their own thing. And they heard casual and they're like, what is this song? And so they kind of figured, well, let's take some of that bombast, that drum beat from John Bonham and pour, pour it into a Genesis song and that ended up being Squonk. And it definitely shows. I mean, that is just a heavy song, concert song.
3: Mm-hmm. That's like when the speakers, you expect the speakers to blow out, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're listening to it. Yeah.
1: This is also the first that we start getting references, little little bits of melody that we've heard earlier on the album. Towards the end, during the last bit of uh, lyrics in this, the kind of when you're in the all-in-all, you're a very dying race. If you listen to the keyboard behind that, that's from Dance, of, Dance on a Volcano. Mm-hmm. So you start getting some of this musical quoting that you're going to, uh, that will pay off later on. I'll leave that as a spoiler alert to everybody else. So, Casey, case you haven't heard of this album before. So, you know, this is... I, I've... i This is one of those tracks that I think I first heard this when... Again, I, I go back to this numerous times. When I was first getting into Genesis around the Invisible Touch era... King Biscuit Flower Hour did a Genesis event of four-episode kind of thing following Genesis, mm-hmm. and the first two episodes were kind of a almost audio documentary of the career of the band, and then the last two episodes were one of the shows, one of the live shows from the Invisible Touch tour. And as part of the history, they say, well, Phil Collins took over on vocals, blah, 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 and they play Squonk, and it was the first time I heard this song. And I was and I still remember being like, what kind of what is this?" And there's and it was slightly edited on the on the radio show, but there was still enough there that I was like, this uh, this is like nothing I've heard before. And I always have a bit of that memory of this track, just how surprising it was to innocent ears at the time.
3: Yeah, can we just take a step back and acknowledge how weird? these lyrics are yes, exactly. <laughs> like I feel like the squonk and a trick of the tail yeah I remember first hearing this album I'm like okay I kind of like I was at the time I was I was used to Gabriel's kind of weird mm-hmm. you know um the stories he would tell during his live during the live set and maybe the especially on the lamb I mean mm-hmm. that's full-on weird we already covered that <laughs> um but here it's like even I don't know it it's just very strange. Um, and I remember, you know, I don't know, now in the streaming age, if you kind of got into this album um, and not, didn't get a hard copy, there is this little paragraph at the end of the lyrics that mm. I'll read it. It says, The squonk is of a very retiring disposition, and due to its ugliness, weeps constantly. It is easy prey for hunters who simply follow a tear-stained trail. When cornered, it will dissolve into tears. True or False.
2: True. True. No, false. <laughs> Blue. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 yeah. find, this, the squonk is a, a thing of folklore. Yeah. Like, it is a true know, thing of folklore. And I looked, it says Is this the first album with cliff notes, though? <laughs> yeah, so. see,
3: that's the thing. Like,
2: well, it says the squonk is a mythical creature reputed yeah. to live in the hemlock forests of northern Pennsylvania in the 19th century. It even has a Greek name, Lacrima corpus (laughs) dissolvens, which I assume means dissolves into a body of tears. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, this is, it's funny because it's called Squant. The word Squant is never mentioned in this song at all. So if you're just listening to this, or if you just see the title and you're like, Squant. Why is it called Squonk? And then you get the little note at the end that's, you know...
3: It says what it is. Because I bet... I could just picture the band going, guys, we didn't put the word Squonk in the <laughs> lyrics. People are going to freak out. We uh, better write this little <laughs> sentence. We better right. give this little history lesson. Yeah.
1: And there, there's a cover version on, on... I forget if it's Supper's Ready. The There's um, one of these cover albums that came out in the 90s that the band that does Squonk... Actually, during the end instrumental, kind of has somebody read out this. The swan is very, and which (laughs) which makes me wonder, like, was was the? I wonder if Genesis ever thought about having that almost narration at the end of things. Um, But it's just again, it would be talking over Steve Hackett's solo. So why not? But it would be. (laughs) You know, that's what makes me—it's interesting that it's there, but it, it it is that Cliff Notes version of, yeah. <laughs> you know, giving you a little bit of a digest of, in case you didn't know what this song was about. But even not knowing what the squonk is, reading the lyrics of this, once you get kind of past the first verse, the like father, like son, not flesh nor fish nor bone, etc., which you're kind of like, well, I don't know what that means— mm-hmm. um, then you start getting into, okay, maybe it's, you see that it's a creature, you talk about the Huntsman and stuff like that, and you're like, okay, it begins to make sense, and there's moments in this where, like, the last the last bits of vert, of lyrics, the all in all, you are a very dying race, like, that sends shivers down my spine when I hear it, even though I didn't know what it meant mm. in the context of things. It's just the sound of it works, and that... The whole point about, you know, I opened up the sash and all I had was a pool of bubbles and tears. Just a pool of tears. Like, emotionally it works, even though you might not know kind of what it means when you first hear it.
0: If I may uh, uh, venture an opinion here as well, musically, uh, you, taking the lyrics aside, but musically, this is the one track which I think has the most in common with The Lamb. Like, how so?
1: With its kind of heavy leaden quality Mm. i can see that like say, like if you kind of picture this music being in the lamb somewhere the reason why
0: i make i make this distinction is that all of the rest of the material on this album is actually quite balletic in comparison with with the darkness that was the uh, the lamb Mm -hmm. except this one track this track does have a sort of meaty heavy dark Mm -hmm. Stout okay. t- tone, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. And whenever I hear the opening of this track, it, for
1: some reason, there's a. It always reminds me of the lamb. Yeah, I can see. It. It's funny. I never thought about it that way before, but now that you say that, I can see where you're coming from with
0: that. I mean, it's yeah. not a proven. No, no, like, no this it's is just how a, it feels, an opinion yeah. that I, you know. It always
1: makes me feel like that. Hmm, interesting. You gave me something to think about. Mm.
0: I'll be over here if you need me. That's that's that's
1: the role that's that's here. I think that's great. I think that yeah, there's there isn't there isn't a lot here that harkens back to the Lamb. But I'd be curious to know, like if like I feel like this is mainly Mike's song with some Tony thrown in there, and I wonder if you know when Mike came up with this, if it was in that kind of Lamb mode of writing things for the Lamb, or if it was after that. You know what things you know i always wonder like is, if this was mainly from mike or even partially from mike is something like this something that could have ended up on geese and the ghost you know if he mm-hmm. kind of offered that to ant in some way wait for the so. kidnap we well, we can ask <laughs> <then>. <laughs> yeah, right, that that's now, right so that's another that. that's another nerdy what if question that they would just go <laughs> what although it is
3: very heavy but the end of the the outro of this is very light i always like when you when you get to the end of the song it's like you're coming out into to a you know more light or it just Mm -hmm. opens up it's like very playful kind of that end yeah coming out of the forest you
0: get that sense of like a metaphorical camera panning up from the from the from the the roots of the
1: forest up right up to the to the canopy and we do our video shoot for this song I think we've got our blocking
2: set. There we so. are. You
0: see, I'll be in my trailer if you can. <laughs> <mean.
2: laughs> exactly. do, do you remember the movie uh, M. Night Shyamalan uh, The Village? Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. That always kind of gave us quonk kind see of feel. It. Yes, like I can see of, that. Those kind of quote-unquote creatures in that. Uh, well, now we have
1: a new video you can cut. <laughs> so, that's... Uh, I, I see something in your
2: future, Tom. The interesting thing that uh, obviously I think they knew that there was something really important about this song. It was... One of the songs that Daryl had to play when he auditioned for the band. Yeah. And it was also one of the songs that their potential lead singer had to sing. Oh, right. But the key was kind of off. So they yeah. ended up not going with that finalist and saying, all right, Phil, let's do it. Yeah. Phil could shout his way through it and was sing gateway it.
3: This gateway song. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Let me have a go at it. All right. There you go. Yep. Knock them out. So. Well, with that being said... I think we're going to journey into the land of the madman moon.
3: Going on a Tony journey, going on a Tony journey, and a Tony lesson.
1: So what is the lesson that we're learning from Mad Mad Moon?
3: The grass isn't always greener. Oh, oh there you go. I'll
1: take that. Yeah. That's that's a lesson. I, I love this song. This is, again, we're talking about the flow of this album, and after such a heavy song like Squonk, you're getting, again, a bit of a respite, in a way, Even although this is still, even though it's a perhaps quieter song or not as heavy it's still intense in its own way and you know it's this is one of those songs when I hear it or even just if I think of a lyric from it it just flows through the rest of my head. It's like it just carries on from one lyric to the other. It's a song that makes sense to me in that way, that it just kind of flows out once you start thinking about it.
3: I've always thought of it as a sister song to One for That's the fine. Vine. Yeah. Aww.
2: <laughs> yeah. I put One for the Vine as kind of an extension of this song. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: yes.
2: I mean, it's just lovely piano work. And even if you mm-hmm. listen look a lot closer... there's some great work from steve on it yeah it's it's kind of just got to listen for it because the piano is kind of you know the main tune you hear through it but the guitar work if you listen to it is really great by steve
0: if i can just interject here and you you make a very good point about steve but it's there's a wider point to be made which is this album is possibly the one album with the possible exception of maybe selling england where you feel the whole band pulling in the same direction yep and I think that it's especially poignant on this album because they knew in a lot of ways they had something to prove. Yeah. And so I, I don't know whether or not how much compromise there was in the room and how much arguing. But the fact of the matter is that you got the sense of everybody going, I can give you whatever you need to make this song happen.
1: In all the conversation you hear about this album, it does sound like a very happy time. Uh, I mean, the biggest complaint I've heard is actually from Tony, which, you know, surprise, surprise, <laughs> that he said something like that, you know, Mike was working on Geese and the Ghost, Steve was doing his own album, Phil's doing Brand X stuff, and he was like, am I the only guy writing music for this band? <laughs> and it, yeah, he kind of was, which is why Tony Banks is credited on every track on this, on this album. What I've also heard, and I think it might have been in the Armando Gallo books, is that this track and a Trick to the tail were actually written back in about 1970 or so and he just they just didn't fit the albums between then and here like i don't know if i could picture peter singing this song or it would be a very different feel to it with peter singing it i don't i mean peter could certainly sing quieter music but i but phil's voice is really fitting for this track
3: yeah Phil has that more romantic, you know, kind of softer around the edges yeah. um, vocal and I think yeah, it lends itself so much better to this lyric um, and, the, and the and the music itself.
2: I'm never I'm never not one to misinterpret lyrics. But uh, I always I always wondered who's the muddy bitch in Newcastle.
3: For yeah, who that, is this muddy bitch? This muddy bitch. <laughs>
2: And then oh, I mean yeah. I got the lyrics <laughs> yeah. and it's muddy pitch, which to an English to an American person as a fifteen year old didn't mean anything. Right. But it's it's a still pitch.
3: a muddy bitch to me, and I even <laughs> reading it. I will not. Na- I don't. You what did you say? What is it really? Pitch. A pitch? pitch. Oh, a muddy, a muddy pitch, pitch. like oh, a playing field. Like yeah. It. yeah, it's a muddy bitch. <laughs> I never that muddy bitch that. from Newcastle. <laughs> I mean, Simon's like you,
2: stupid Americans. <laughs> See, I,
1: and I never even thought of that as being anything else. Maybe because when I got this, this is one of the albums I did buy. I did have on LP before CD or anything like that, so mm-hmm. I had. The, the date fold that had all the lyrics there and of course being 14 15 years old i read along with the music so i was like pitch oh okay pitch even if i, m- I might not have known what pitch was but i didn't think it was bitch yeah, well, I, I,
2: I was i had the cassette so i didn't i wasn't yeah. privy to
1: the lyric sheet yeah but don't you love in that in that bit of music the middle eight or whatever you want to call this part of it I just love those little like castanet yes, sounds yes. 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 <laughs> and it's just it's it, it it so doesn't fit but it so fits at the same time I'm just like It's a little is...
3: Spock's beard. yeah I love <laughs> it
1: <laughs> And that's what I think something that again you're talking about before about everybody bringing their A game for this is that sometimes I think you know, again, as a critique of some Genesis things, is sometimes those little details wouldn't be there in the future. Sometimes, not all the time. And it's like, that's where I think that they were just all kind of ready to throw in, even on a, even with a Tony Banks song, just like, oh, well, I could do this little bit of percussion, this little bit of guitar. You know, this all elevates the music to a certain way. And it was everybody throwing in their ideas as
2: well as they could with it. I always wondered what the, when the song ends and kind of Tony goes back into a repeat of the opening Mm -hmm. of the song, I always wondered that would have sounded like like on a real flute. Like if Peter had played that last Mm -hmm. like on a flute, because there's that lingering note. That ends mm. the song, which is really nice.
3: So. Sort of related. This is the one song I did learn on flute. <laughs> oh. well,
2: now we have our outro music ready
3: there to play. So Break it out. Yep. Yeah. Not now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, well, that also brings us to the end of side one, side A, however you might think about it. And we'll now jump into side two with robbery, assault, and battery.
6: The streets were deserted, but the police were alerted. They considered the phone caller.
0: Okay, I'm going to say something a little bit contentious. Weakest song on the album.
2: Yeah, i will go with that. I don't yeah. think that. I don't I, think it's a bad song. But it's the weakest song on yeah. the album. I have weak spot on the album. What? No!
3: <laughs> this song's awesome!
2: So, not contentious with me. I think it's very I, agreeable.
3: Really? Yeah. Weakest on the album? I'm not saying
2: it's
1: a bad song.
3: Right. I don't well, care. Well, what's, uh, well Stacey, song. what's
1: your weakest on the album then?
3: God, it goes between um, A Trick of the Tail and Ripples for me. Really? Yeah. Wow. What? <laughs>
0: That's contentious.
3: That's, yeah, how's yeah, that, that contentious? Is that
0: <laughs> and and let's, let, me just, let me just put that into, into context. Uh-huh. Sure. This is a great story song. Yes. It's a fabulous story song. It's got a very strong nar- narrative and an amazing middle section. Yes.
3: So how is this week?
0: But it's but, not... But... It's not in any way, shape or form as strong as the rest of the material that is built around it in my opinion. I love love,
3: love (laughs) the video for it. The video for it is... So here's all the things I love about this song. The video, obviously, is amazing. Um, If you haven't seen it, it's probably on YouTube. Um, I think this is the only Banks and Collins collaboration ever. There's a
1: track on... um, on, uh, And then there were three. Scenes from A Night's Dream.
3: Very similar to this song, it by is. the way. Yes.
1: And not as good as this not song. Not as good as
3: this song. So I meant on this album.
1: Like, sure. this on this album. And, and you later. might be able to make the argument that Hold On My Heart is a Banks-Collins song. Because Mike's part on that was very late in the day.
3: Whatever.
4: <laughs> All right. I'm talking uh, about
3: classic lineup, yes, collaboration. Yeah. I'll yeah. Give you this, so. And... I, you know I love the dancey songs. Like, I'm always the one in the group who likes the more 80s I, I didn't know if songs. I would think of
1: this as a dancey
3: song. Are you kidding me? See, I, I would
1: actually say I think I like the Seconds Out version more than this and version. And I would
0: agree with you on yes. that as well.
3: I like this. Uh, yeah, Seconds yes. Well, because it's live. Yeah. Um... But that instrumental, it's so mad, but it seems yeah. so natural. Like yeah. Dance on a Volcano. That energy and the complexity of it just feels great. And i it just sounds... Like, the first time I heard it, I was blown away because I've not heard them do an instrumental bit like that before. It was super fast. Mm-hmm. It was uh, meticulous.
0: <laughs> and also, it's got that kind of Harold the Barrel comedic lilt about it yeah. as well, yeah. which I really love. But uh, as I said, this is... This is not a case of me saying it's a bad song. This is me saying there has to be a worse song on the album.
1: And even on a great album... All right, uh, well, yeah, I, I could see that you and Stacy will continue to discuss this after we're done, I think. So I think that... Oh,
3: this is, we fight about this every day.
1: All <laughs> <laughs> right, we have it scheduled in. I was we're
0: only dinner. thrown
1: from the car
0: yeah. a couple of days ago.
1: <laughs> but I think it's funny, with the, with the middle instrumental bit, it's like, it's it it doesn't sound like it, but it's the same kind of what the F is going on, as Riding the Scree from Land Lies Down, yeah. that kind of keyboard solo where I'm like, okay, how do you play this, first of all, and come up with it? And it's like, in this one especially, how do you play something so kind of out there and start-and-stoppy discordant and have it sound
3: almost hummable? Well, that's the thing, yeah, and it's too. Great.
1: I mean, that's the genius of yeah. Genesis slash Tony. And Dance. another,
3: there's another reason why I love this track is because Tony's keyboard solos are, t- are, you know, they seem to me very measured, not restrained, but they're you know i don't know how to how to explain it but it there's very intentional and here like he's just going off the rails yeah. like i feel like his fin- he's not in control of his fingers kind of thing and i love that cuz it's a right. different side of his playing that right. doesn't really come through a lot but then
1: he would play it exactly the same way live so? No, the, the, that's the amazing part of it <laughs> yeah, is that, yeah. I mean, who knows whether if he had kind of planned this out before recording it, yeah. but then it's like, well, we're Genesis, we have mm-hmm. to do it, you know, this is the arrangement now, so I'm going to learn this. Tom,
0: would you like to weigh
1: in on this? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do have the middle keyboard solo is great. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then and as, as much as I said with Simon that it's the weak spot on the album, there's some great stuff on it. I could see it having been at home on Selling One by the Pound. Mm-hmm. Different characters going through the different kind of voices, and I could definitely see Gabriel saying that. Um, I always thought the title was a little glib. For when you really think about it, it yeah. should be called "Robbery and Double Homicide," <laughs> 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 because uh, a bank teller is shot and killed, and a policeman is shot shot and killed. That's mm-hmm. that's tough stuff. Yeah, I mean they treat it very. Jauntily prancing, I just just (laughs) killed two people. (laughs) Whoops! London, Uh, hilarious. London, (laughs) oh, you Londoners, back in the old days. This
1: is the "All in a Mouse's Night" of this album. Yes, yes. And and I don't say that because I generally like "All in a Mouse's Night." I think. Um, I was going to say going back to the episode what did I talk about with that but but the but in general it's kind of in the, in the same place on the album start of the second side same basically I'm assuming Tony wrote the lyrics for this and it's even though Phil contributed it's very much a Tony song um, I'd be curious to know exactly what Phil contributed. Maybe Phil wrote the lyrics for this.
3: I oh, always wow. thought, for some reason, I thought Phil did the yeah. lyrics. Maybe because he just really plays up the vocal so much. Yeah. I, I assumed he wrote the lyrics. Hello, so now <laughs>
1: you're having fun. Yeah.
0: That's,
1: maybe, maybe it was more of those tight collaborations with yeah. that. So, Or maybe, you know, Tony said to Phil, here's what I'm
2: thinking, go off and write it type mm-hmm. of thing. It's one of those where, like, they knew that Peter did characters yeah, back yeah. in the day. They said, all right, let's well, yeah. try to what type of do our do you want to version do to of that. Yeah. And uh, one thing I noticed... And he would, I think, at least put on a cap. A cap,
1: mm-hmm. right.
2: Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed listening to it recently was that during the last verse, after they come out of the instrumental, mm-hmm. they've kind of got these like Monty Python horse claps... Okay. as he's going along and I just heard that recently I'm like holy cow that sounds really cool <laughs> like you know the coconut yeah yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. almost like
1: the castanets in madman moon yeah. type of thing you know they're all over the place so. the song has it all <laughs> and it is um, one of my notes says that it
2: is a pop song it's 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 kind of a catchy that's probably thing.
3: why I like it too cause I love pop music so
2: and I'm not one to hear lyrics
3: Oh this is this I know what you're going to say and I love it.
2: Robbery butt salt and batter.
3: <laughs> no no that's a new one. It's a new
2: one. But I it, I went until we talked about our seconds out podcast thinking that the line was and bundles of fibers. Oh yes, <laughs> that's
5: right.
2: Because I thought, well, it's a British term for money. Fibers, like I have, money is made of cloth sometimes, and cloth is fibers. And all right, get, so it's bundles of fibers. Got a fiber in my wallet. And then when I was corrected, I, it was a real eye-opening moment for me. I can imagine bundles of fibers with a V. Fivers, yes,
3: fivers, bitch.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we've slightly gone off the rails with this one. <laughs> We've but, had uh, a few to drink, yeah. Yeah. but it's funny the, the chorus like robbery, assault, and
3: battery.
1: It is. It's almost a, you can see this in a musical.
3: It's a dance yes. song. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, do you have your own dance moves to
3: this? Absolutely.
1: Well, watch the video online when we tape this. Good after this, yeah. It. <laughs> oh, it's
3: there. It's there with the squawk. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So we'll now move on to the first Genesis song with an Elispis in it,
6: Ripples. Blue come in every size Some are wise and some are the wise They got pretty blue eyes For now a man may change Look strange, look strange Marching to the promised land Where the honey flows and takes you by the hand Pulls you down on your knees While you're down a pool And the water looks up And she shakes her head As if to say That it's the last time You'll look like today
1: Watch for our duo album coming out later on today. So, Jingleberries, <laughs> this is a beautiful, uh, beautiful song. Choose. Yes, beautiful song, wonderful. Anybody who thinks it's the worst track or second worst track on the album is wrong.
3: It is. I think it's one. Well, for me, it's one of the weaker ones. Um, particularly the the part where Phil's singing. I love <laughs> the, <end. laughs> I the song. The part of my singing. I love the instrument. I I I, I agree, end. and
0: also the music and the the uh, yeah, and she the she lyrics oh, yeah. and Yay. the.
3: All right, so my this song. The just, doors
0: on the studio.
3: <laughs> this song depresses me. It just reminds me that I am turning into an old woman, and I have to use industrial, f- you know, strength face creams now. <clears throat> And so I'm just not into the lyric. And it just doesn't See, but it is interesting. You even even me. as a
1: guy, I, I took it as the whole just that we all age. So I did get that from it, mm-hmm. but it was it was the piece of it like it, it certainly isn't a happy song, but it is also to me it's very much well live live the moment that you have. And it's it's not depressing because of that. It's more just this is the perspective.
3: Yeah, I kind of like that.
1: But but it's not like. But I but I totally see your point. Also, I think. And
3: you have to understand from my perspective. You know, being a you know a diehard Genesis fan and this is a a group of guys (laughs) and when they finally do a song that introduces like a female Mm. perspective or Mm. commenting on a female experience Mm. I was like this is what you got Mm. so (laughs) it's about um, how she gets old and looks old yeah so I was kind of like "Eh, okay I mean that's not I'm not you know laying any fault or saying it's uh it's wrong or I pose of it you know that's that's not the case it was just like oh I was just not into <laughs> yeah. the lyric. I'm not into yeah. what they had to say.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are some some lyrics here that I'm not, not thrilled about, like you know, some are wise and some otherwise. They got pretty blue eyes. You know, it's kind of yeah, like what I mean, yeah, like... it's it generally like there are parts of this song that I I generalize in my head, like I talked about before, but that mm-hmm. are not generalized in the lyrics, and so that's kind of kind of how I get past that right. because I do think it's a very pretty song and that's kind of the the piece that I, I take from it more about the time passes for all of us but you're right that it's kind of a the metaphor the the examples that are being used are probably not designed to make you feel good about yourself
3: yeah it's you know the face in the water looks up, and she shakes her head as if to say, that's the last time you'll look like today. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, when Phil stops singing, I'm there.
2: Right. <laughs> for me, it checks all the boxes for me. I mean, lyrically, I'm, I love the lyrics. It's <laughs> anti-feminist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look Made the same Genesis great again. <laughs> I, I've never aged a bit in the past 40 years. You haven't, really, actually. <laughs> But it's just everything from the 12-string work mm-hmm. at the beginning, Tony's piano, such a strong chorus, mm-hmm. uh, the middle instrumental section, See, Steve's I, guitar.
1: I actually don't like the chorus that much.
2: Oh, I love the chorus. The it,
1: melody I, mean, I like. I mean, the words themselves, I think, are kind of eh. But...
2: Oh, it's, it's all good for me. Okay. And even Steve's guitar work, like the, the effects he has on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, friend Rob and I, when we were growing up uh, listening to this song, like we also say, was he was Steve hanging upside down, playing this backwards underwater? Because like the guitar effects are so bizarre mm-hmm. that he must have been doing something. Like it's probably just a pedal, but <laughs> it was more it was it was more fun to imagine that he was upside down. Something yeah, weird. Doing something yeah weird.
3: I will say Steve's lead is the best uh, yeah. in this on this track on this yeah. album. Is it, it the ripples lead is phenomenal, yeah. although Tony plays all over it, which is <laughs> a little disappointing. But yeah.
2: But there is a there's a part, just a little touches that I like that Tony puts in, is in there's this theme that goes in the instrumental part. It starts around I'd write it down in case you want to go listen to it at <laughs> around five oh eight where it goes, da da da. It goes up, then down, then up, and then it repeats it later, but it goes down, up, down.
0: Oh. So
2: it's like just it sounds like he's just repeating the same. Phrase, but he's just doing a, a twist on it later on, which See, is so that, good. That's your development of the theme. That yes, is, yes, yes. it was a good development. I love that. And it has got bells in the end. I love me some bells. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: do. Th- I do like the epic nature of the ending yeah. of this. You know, when it does come back, the that's where the chorus really works for me in that section. So that kind of bombastic
2: big Genesis sound. And I remember in 2007 when they toured. I didn't know this was part of the set list, so when they played this, it totally blew me away. And I, I got to admit, when Daryl comes back at the very end and does his kind of fading solo, it, it gets to me. I, even so, I, I had ripples coming down my chin. <laughs> they go. I was just <laughs> a pool of bubbles did. and tears. Yes.
1: Uh, uh, wrong yeah. song. Well, with that, we'll now get on to the namesake track on the album, "A Trick of the Tail."
6: Bought of the life in the city of gold He'd left and let nobody know Gone were the towns he had known from a child Along with the dream of a life He travelled the wide open road The blinkered arcade In search of another to share in his life But no I think this is the
0: best song that they ever did about furry moon
4: boots (laughs)
1: and long scarves and bobble hats. About tiny singers trapped on a piano. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And guitarists with giant claws.
0: Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we, we would entreat you to go to check out YouTube, the video for this, because it is... It entertaining a, it had
1: a budget of negative hundred
0: dollars <laughs> i think
1: that budget that the,
0: it
3: is it is hands down the best thing about this song <laughs> you kind of have to immerse yourself in the video as it's playing i like the whimsy in this song yeah,
2: i have yeah. to say
0: it's a you know and, and let's face it what would a genesis album
2: be without a little bit of whimsy yeah. in there and this it's, is it's, it's, this is what i wrote the typical tony banks jaunt Yes. He always yeah. has that one song which is like walking down the street <laughs> walking down the big, street. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and and I like that it tells a coherent story too. Yeah. Like you, you can see that this is a narrative that goes from point A to point B to point C and you're like And it's about somebody being homesick at the core of it and being away from home and not being able to get back. Like, yes, it's about this strange creature that's captured and brought around in a circus and all that. But you get all that in a couple verses, you know, it's it's actually a very succinct storytelling. I'm putting my flag ag- down. No,
0: I would agree with you on that. It is—it's yeah. a very succinct song, very concise, considering the age in which it was written.
3: Yeah,
1: makes more sense than one for the vine. That's very true.
3: <laughs> it does. Yeah, it is a very much a story song, like. Like uh, All in a Mouse's Night to me. Mm-hmm. kind of This could be like a children's yeah. kind of story. I'm surprised
1: that nobody has turned this into a children's book or Tony could write his own children's book. Well, oh. it said, I've yeah. read that. No it no it was inspired yeah.
2: by William Golding's 1955 novel, The Inheritors, about the last survivor of an alien race that predated man's time on Earth. Oh, well, there you go. So that must have been the inspiration. They were
3: the very, like, creature-heavy. Like, they had creatures and <laughs> mythical, Squall, like...
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, animals. I think also the other thing, though, to say about this is that there are a lot of literary... Yeah. Um, influences that are mm-hmm. going not just to this album, but but Genesis as a whole. There's a yeah. lot of motivation from literature, and I don't think this album is any different, or the worse for it, to be right. honest with you.
3: To me, this song, like in you know, cons- like thinking about their whole discography and all the songs they've done, this one really sticks out, and I think I was trying to think of why. And the only thing I can think of is that there's like no chords in this. Like you don't have the mm. Tony Banks chords, which is so much a part of mm. so many of their songs. Maybe because it's so jaunty. And it's so, it so jaun and like rhythm. it's very piano yeah. driven.
0: I think this song is also, um, in my opinion, the one that's most influenced by uh, the songwriter that they will they've all openly said that they, they admire, which is Jimmy Webb. And if you don't know who Jimmy Webb is, he's the guy that's responsible for songs like Up, Up and Away, By the Time I Get to Phoenix, Wichita Lineman, Galveston... Uh, Macarthur Park, um, and uh, and it is one of these these songs, which is you know almost Brill Building esque, sort of like mm-hmm. in that sort of compact, a standalone unit song, if you know what I mean, from beginning to end.
1: Yeah, that's very cool. I, like I, I think it's nice when you kind of see that through line from other artists into Genesis or outside of there. Um, it's fantastic. It's 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 nice when you realize that the people that you admire have the artists that they admire too and that it comes out in their work i think this is also an interesting song because the verses go into the chorus and the chorus then comes straight back into the verses like like it's almost like a complete sentence if you look at the end of the first uh, yes. chorus yeah. it's like that that lies in the deep distance he cried is the end of the chorus, and then and wept as they led him away to a cage yeah. like it all flows so it keeps that forward momentum going it's like yes yeah, it's the it's the chorus But it's all part of the same story, same outline.
0: And here's something which I think is very interesting. Throughout this entire episode, we're making constant references to the lyrics. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the other things which uh, this song is is emblematic of, um, which is the fact that this album has a very strong lyrical content this time round. I don't know whether or not it was just down to the fact that they felt that they had to prove not only that they could stand alone as musicians, but they actually had the ability as songwriters Man. to produce a lyrical spine throughout the album as well, well.
1: It makes me wonder too, since they didn't really write, these these four didn't really write lyrics for for The Lamb, besides maybe a couple of kind of random uh, things that they had to do, that did they did they at that point kind of all have their little notebooks that they wrote down a lot of ideas on anyway so they had so the an extra meatballs. Yeah they had a, an extra year's worth <laughs> of ideas that they had stored yeah. up that hadn't been used on anything
3: Yeah and they could so. they could really like take the the, the cream of the crop in their right. opinion yeah. because they probably had a lot. Um, Backed up, <laughs> <laughs> that they just
2: let forth and go free into the world—a lyrical splooge. <laughs> but I think this has one of the, you know, I, I know Phil has talked a little bit of over time over the toughness of singing some of Tony's mm-hmm. lyrics, and for the, in this song, the line "the beast gazed abroad and cried out." That's a tough line, not just oh, to yeah. say, not just to sing, but to say. Mm-hmm. So I can see where Phil was starting to get. It like, took you five times. To it did. <laughs> But overall, the song, I mean, when I think of it, it it makes you happy, one, because it's got that mm-hmm. jaunty feeling, but two, as we talked touched on the video, like, they just look like they're having such a fun time yeah. in that video, Phil's hamming it up to the 10th degree, mm-hmm. and there's this one point, which always cracks me up, where he's, like, telling Mike to look into the distance, like, look, over there, and Mike's even, like, trying to play along, and as soon as the line changes, Mike just cracks up like he can't hold a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like little bits like that. Like you can tell like it was a much more relaxed atmosphere yeah, overall mm-hmm. that they were able to go through and do something like this. Whereas, you know, they don't have to hunker down in the streets of New York City. and
4: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: It's interesting that you make mention of that because uh, I think it was on this tour that they did their very first concert movie, road yes, movie yeah. tour. Mm-hmm. And you can see on that tour... There seems to be a weight lifted from them, or at yeah. least sort of like they seem to be. Uh, I mean, they open up admittedly, the songs are shown out of sequence, mm-hmm. but they open up with I know what I like that, you know, when, when they start the show. But that was obviously at the very end of the show. Mm-hmm. But you can see that
1: that band is is having a great time together. Yeah. They can be a bit more loose with things. they not structured to, oh, we're we're putting on a, a performance. yes. It's not like, oh, we have to make sure the slides are right now. So
3: Yeah, I think a combo of that, they're better players. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting more attention, so mm-hmm. their confidence is going up. They're older. You mm-hmm. know, all these things were coming together for them. And I know we talked about that in Seconds Out. Like, that was the moment their balls dropped, they became men, and they took over the world. Like, they, you could just, they were, this was them coming into their own mm-hmm. as the band that, you know, so many people they, know they them be, for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: I think it's great. I think that those, those tracks are, and this track particularly, it's what they named the album after. You know, you yeah. think about, it, they could have called the album Squonk. Or dance on a volcano, or you know, mm-hmm. there's there's other tracks that you can make an argument for. It would have been a great album name, but they they chose this one as kind of saying this is what we want people to associate with this album, mm. um, and it's it's a cool little story and it's about coming home. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it too, is that you're you're coming home to Genesis after the. Oddity of the uh, the lamb.
3: The slipperman's no longer there. Yeah, exactly. We can relax. Exactly.
1: There's not going to be any big <laughs> now, tube just... of penis on no, the, no, on, no, the no. on the no. on the, uh, tour and everything. Nobody's going to be crawling out of this. Just
3: some weird crying furry <laughs> yes, thing, exactly. and a and that's a,
1: as weird as we're gonna get. We promise. And a
3: cloven half man half yes. you know. Plus a
1: robbery and two homicides. Yes. <laughs> so and and you get billed for your medical care. So yes. <laughs> that's fine. So, Sounds amazing. Yes. So with that, we'll now get into the last uh, last track of the album, Los Endos. Fucking (laughs) shit. Is that it? (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's been the episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tremendous track. I mean, seriously.
3: Yeah.
1: What the F.
0: I mean,
3: what a way to end. It's just as strong as the beginning. Yeah. You know,
1: it's it's a great track. It's and it's it's one of those things that I may have heard. Los I heard Los Endos before hearing this album. And so when I finally heard this album and Squawk started, I was like, oh, this is that part of Los Endos. And then you start realizing like, oh, there are some bits, uh, other bits of Los Endos that are like bit of Dance Volcano, maybe some other things. And it's like, oh, there, there is a bit of cohesiveness to this album and to this track. That just come come together in a great way.
0: It's like seeing a story unfold,
2: and then all the themes and tales of each of the characters being wrapped up mm-hmm. beautifully at the end. I mean, it's such a strong song, and they know. Even I think starting yeah. with this tour, didn't they play it every tour except We Can't Dance? Correct.
1: Yes, and oh. Calling All
2: Stations. All Stations. Yeah. I mean, they just know what this can do live, and live yeah. it takes on a whole new level. Yeah. I love the bass at the beginning, the and it's
1: just like it sets that pace for things. After kind of the intro of the slow kind of guitar that we know now is kind of from "It's Yourself," the bonus track on there, mm-hmm. but it's like, but even that, it's it's drawing pieces from the different parts of the album in, into here, and it just sounds very happy at the start you know it's this band blah, da 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 and mm-hmm. it's a very simple melody but it works in this and just kind of how they play it in different permutations and different approaches I holy think, fucking shit yeah, yeah. i
0: think it just goes to show exactly how accomplished and sophisticated they've become mm-hmm. as writers and arrangers that when you hear this song you're hearing the tune and not the machinery that's cranking underneath the surface yeah. to propel you along to the end of this song and mm-hmm. that very few bands and very few songwriters really achieve that level of mastery in their music
5: mm-hmm.
1: and it's credit to them all but i think it was phil was kind of the like driving i think I, I think the division is probably like the squawk bit is definitely the rutherford and banks right. piece and i think it's mainly Phil doing that melodic bit, and then bits of Steve thrown into the first half and everything. So, you know, it is it is all for them, but I think there's that kind of the first half, Phil and Steve, second half, Mike and Tony.
3: Yeah, I was going to so. say, this has like, this is very much like a Voyage of the Accolade, mm-hmm. Hackett vibe to it, and also a Phil Collins Brand X vibe to yeah. it. Yeah. Um yeah which I love. And I love that they were able to bring this forward into Genesis and, you know, you kind of get to see, you know, those projects they've been working on come into play with, uh, Tony and Mike.
0: They also have an amazing ability to stop the song and not let it lose momentum. Mm -hmm. For some reason there is, I mean, we actually, funnily enough, actually went to see, um, a Genesis tribute act at a place called the Scottish Rite, um, Mm -hmm. theater. And, uh, the band got to the end of this section and the bass player had a double neck like, la, sort of like Mike Rutherford mm. and his guitar just crapped out oh. and the entire song shuddered to a halt. Oh, yeah. Mm. It bottlenecked in that one moment of silence before you get the ding, 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 mm. ding back and we were going... Our our fingers were in our teeth (laughs) at that point.
3: I need to hear it. (laughs) I'm
0: not kidding you, sort of like when he actually started playing it. The audience cheered because, like, you got the car going again. And that's one of the things which this song is amazing at, really, because it does have this stoppy,
1: starty end. Mm -hmm. And yet you never feel you've lost momentum in the song. It's, again, you know, the next minute is better than the last. And the last minute was pretty damn good, too. So, you know, it just keeps getting better as it goes along. And and then you get to the end, the squawk bit, and you're like, oh, this is almost like coming home now. Mm-hmm. Something that you heard from earlier in the album, and then you get the little bit of Phil vocal in the end, doing the lines or two from Supper's Ready. That's an homage to Peter leaving and everything. And it's like, oh, that's that's fast. That's cool that they're doing that too. So classy. So, yeah, love it. So, yeah. And um, the great thing about that is that there was. Um, a friend of ours who's actually been on the show, Adam Cromwell, mm-hmm. um, said that he'd never, re- even hearing the studio version, he never heard that. Mm. Which, again, he has a pretty keen ear. Sorry, Adam, if you're listening to this for <laughs> calling you out on this. Ex-listener Adam Cromwell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, but he was like... He, that was his he leather, leather jacket movie. moment. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. He kind of missed that. And, and it was like, yeah, that's the bit of Supper's Ready. I think even, I said it like, do you know he's singing the end of Supper's Ready there?
3: And I was like... Yeah. Well, let You're me guessing. tell you something. We well, how long have we been listening to this band? Just the other night, we were listening to um, we put the Mama Tour on, mm-hmm. and uh, to check out <laughs> to test our new stereo. We got oh. a new um, a sound system in our house, and of course, it was like, well, we have to put Genesis in mm-hmm. um, to see how it goes. And we we were listening to the Mama Tour, and there was something there that I never heard before. What was uh, it? I don't remember. <laughs> what, what was we it? We were
1: very very drunk at the time. Yeah. <laughs> They played this song called Mama,
3: but yeah. I think, no no no, yeah. but it was but, like there's something little like yeah. you, right, will, you, you even you know forty years later you will hear sure. something
0: that's it's- one of the, the wonderful things about music, especially when you 've got a discography of this depth, you can return to it again and again and find something new almost every single time that you actually listen to a, a track and this is one of those tracks where on listening to it for this podcast. Mm-hmm. I was not fully aware, cognizant in in the front half of my brain exactly how many times they stop Ah,
4: Mm. and
0: pick it back up. And then just when you think you couldn't do it anything better, Mm -hmm. they play it live and have (laughs) that end section on uh, the end of seconds out Mm -hmm. and you go... The that- that's the closest I could think of it, like to the end of the world. It's uh, possible to <laughs> yeah. get
1: that end section. I, to me, my favorite bit of this song is that kind of after the first bit, and we get the ding ding ding, the kind of dance on a volcano bit, and then the slow build of the na na yeah. Na, yeah. na and it's getting louder, and then Steve's doing this thing with his arm and his guitar string yeah. that makes it sound like a almost like Martin. hands in yeah, mud yeah. or something, yeah. and it's just like oh, there's this build, and then you're, bum bum bum, psh,
0: bah, and it's like. It goes yeah. from that sort of minor sort of like building the tension up to a
1: major chord, yeah. you know, at the very Fantastic. end of it. So again, you know, it's it's those Genesis moments that you don't get anywhere else. I just think to myself at the end of the
0: day, like there was a mixing session there was a last session for this album. Mm-hmm. There was a last session where the four of them went into the studio on mm-hmm. that day and there was and the the, the the producer was there and the engineer was mm-hmm. there and they sat there. And they listened to the last song and went, "Well done, right?" <laughs> that was. Exactly. You hope that's how it went.
3: Let's yeah, break. Exactly.
0: Let's break that's out the, a bottle of wine for that yeah. one. exactly. When you're that deep in the in the process, there can't be any possible way that you'd ever fully understand or be cognizant of what you just created in the in the larger scheme of things. Right. I mean, they
2: didn't know at the time when they were putting this track down that. In 1977, that 30 years later, they'd still be playing it live and doing it better then. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't sound dated. I mean, it just kicks as much ass in 2007 when they played it as it did in 1977. Mm -hmm. I I always
0: remember there was... um, I went to see the concert, Wembley, on the Invisible Touch tour. Mm -hmm. And they closed out the show with this. And there's a lovely moment in it where you can see it on the video where it gets to the end... And they've just built it up, and Phil Collins is going from snare to hi-hat. And just they're just making a god awful racket, yeah. and then they just stop. And you can just see him looking down, and at that moment, he has his hand on the on the steering wheel, on the Yay. driving wheel. He knows that the moment he raises his hands and brings it yeah. all down the lights are going to come up, the band's going to be making this huge noise and every single pair of hands in the house at Wembley Stadium mm-hmm. is going to be up in the air. Yeah. That's got to be a good feeling. <laughs> Holy fucking shit, as yeah. you said with that. So,
1: so there's one bonus track on the album uh, that if you have had singles back in the day for ripples or other things that went out there called It's Yourself.
4: Step
6: But
1: I really, really, really liked this song, and I totally get why it's not on the album.
3: Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, well, because half of it is already on the album, <laughs> right, <like. true. laughs> Yes, exactly.
1: But it's also like, it it kind of, for the slower, quieter songs on the album, there are better, slower, quieter songs that made the album. And I like the mood of this, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Whereas the other songs whether, whether whether you like them or not I think they definitely have that you know start and end point and it makes it kind of a bit more of a journey whereas this is a little bit as a standalone I like the song but I don't know where it would fit on this album
3: yeah it sounds like they just didn't finish it like it's a, yeah. there's some interesting ideas there but it's not a fully formed thought that you would typically get from one of their tracks album tracks yeah. Um, but I do the, my favorite part of the song is that bass when, uh, Phil comes in with stepping the first line uh, of the song. I no. love that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like his vocal on this very much. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's, this is right in his range at this time.
2: Mm-hmm. It's very reminis- reminiscent, to me of, uh, inside and out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which is another song, which I like, but I also thought didn't belong on an album on when You're mothering. Sure. So it was, it was another track which I thought went well, but it just was a little bit too different where it's fine as a B-side.
1: Yeah.
2: It's a good example of
0: um of how best to edit your album basically. Right. They could have included this. I suspect they probably uh, didn't include it because the constraints of vinyl.
1: Right. I think it's already like a 50-minute album, so you're kind of pushing up against those vinyl limits even at that stage. So you know, it's it's it just there wasn't space for it. Not because I think they thought it was a bad song or anything, it just but it's if you're gonna cut one, it's kinda of the obvious one to cut. I think that's
4: what it comes <laughs> <in>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: oh yes. Didn't we just talk about wind and uh the
3: preteens over yes. here? <laughs> he said he said wind Oh. He so. said cut. So cut one. one. Yes.
1: So yes. But anyway oh children, children. So with that, <laughs> I think we can chat about the album art a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is a great yes. album cover. Possibly the best Genesis album cover. I disagree, but the bottom line here is it's right up with with. So, I mean, one of the things which is is great about this, and we have touched on this in mm-hmm. the album cover art uh, mm-hmm. um, podcast, is it's linked to the album. I think it's one of yes. the ones. In this, you could say in the same way that. Um, that all of the uh, the Genesis albums uh, up to Duke, well after that it tends to get a little bit more esoteric and mm-hmm. splotchy, but mm-hmm. there's nearly always a kind of link to some of the songs on the album by yeah. the covers. There are some really nice bits, like you know the horse is made out of the clouds
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's a really nice little touch oh
2: yeah what's the horse made of sand? What's you not, never noticed that no that's, I haven't that's the horse made of sand from yeah. Mad Men Moon
3: see that's that's what I don't like about this album cover it's, it's too literal too on the nose. it's too on the nose yes. and I don't like the colors in, just in general um, but yeah it took them
0: ages to get urine yellow <laughs>
2: there's no flesh pot. yeah it's
3: too on the nose for me and yeah i don't like i don't like colors all right fair (laughs) enough i like it i like it yeah
1: and tom and i are right so (laughs) so i think that's the yeah i it's funny again finding details that that horse uh horse head there the hunter and the squonk. All the shades of things, the dancing on a volcano with carrier cross.
0: For me, the reason why I like this album cover is because it's that very seventies things of, of giving you something to look at while you're listening. Of course, and
3: that's what albums yeah. are supposed to do. Yeah. And I'll be
0: honest with you, I don't really care that much about the fact that it's a literal thing because what it's doing is it's directly linking you from real world to world in your head to the world in your ears and I think it serves a purpose it might not necessarily be the most subtle use of that service Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I grant you that but it still serves a purpose
1: and as an American it feels very English to me yeah and and I also like the genesis logo of that lettering yes. is is
3: I was going to say it's one of my, my favorite fa- fonts. Yeah, it's, I love the font. It's definitely in my top
1: 3 genesis
2: logo And maybe <laughs> that'd <It's definitely laughs> be the nerdiest thing I'll ever
3: I don't know we've, we've all said a lot
1: of nerdy things on this podcast but all in all it's the top three of the nerdiest things i've said on this podcast look for
3: our future episode where we break down each logo and font exactly. type it
1: does say it. an awful lot the very fact that
0: even to this day when you see even on the 2000 tour yeah. if you actually look in the background there are still flight cases with that yeah. logo on right. it they've yeah. been around for that
1: long so yeah i i think that it's it's a classy looking album
0: cover, I think overall. There's it's also cool. another thing, which is that the the colour that's on the CD mm-hmm. is nowhere near as good as the colour that's actually on the LP. Like that, the
5: yellow. Yeah, itself. there's
0: there's a more acidic yellow for or yeah. mustard yellow on the CD, which you do not have, which is a much more
1: vellum stroke. Yeah. Well, it's funny. This is like the the the, the LP pilots. that I have is the. Is is from the more recent kind of vinyl box set that came out with the uh, remixes on the back in two thousand six? Yeah, because yeah. they but realized think...
3: the original yellow was gross. Well, I, well, but the thing is, I <laughs> I think
1: this was the original. This
3: we have color, an original, but, and it's darker. But
1: then, but then, I think on reprints it went more to that and was smooth. Like this does have texture to it, which I think the original original issue back in seventy six seventy seven had this. I think.
3: I have original '76. All, right, all right, we're gonna right. little meta here, all right. La- I- ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh,
0: just to let you know that Mike Allard was sensuously fondling the sleeve as we
1: talked just back then. Can you hear that? For all you ASMRers out there, <laughs> <laughs> or misophonics. So They're great cars, though. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, well, let's not argue about this anymore. Let's, let's argue. argue about let's either. let's argue about what our favorite track on the album is. All right. And that'll lead into Tom's enormous poll, which I'm sure for this album is pretty big. Can I just say that out of all of the albums that we've looked at, uh-huh.
0: I've never had as much of a dilemma over which is my favorite uh, track than mm, this album. Sure. This, this—I'm I'm not kidding you. Right up till mm. this moment, I actually didn't vote mm. oh. on the poll
1: because I couldn't decide. Interesting and that's never happened with any of the others sure. I, I actually could not quite remember when we started this what I voted for I do remember now what I voted for mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure it's still my number one but we'll see when we come around and discuss this
0: okay. I'm going to have to shit and get off the pot Yes, and yes, will. I will have to say Robbery is no. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: changes that quick You're Yeah, so
0: close to each other it, I am going to have to say it's Dance on a Volcano Classic. and that's and I'll be really honest with you even as I say that I want to change my mind, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going
1: to say it's "Dance on the Volcano." All right, yeah. well. we'll ask you at the end of this conversation to see where it ends <laughs> right, where it yeah. ends up. Now, um, Stacey or me? Go ahead, Mike. All right, Madman Moon.
5: Yeah,
4: classic. Yeah, it's
1: it's it's a great song. It's it's so hard to talk about why you like something over the other ones, and I don't even know if it's over the other tracks. It's that you know we can't have an eight way tie, as Stacey yeah. kind of made sure mm-hmm. that we can't do. Um, and as I said before, talking about this song, it's one of the songs when I hear it, I can just play the rest of it in my head, and it hits me emotionally in the right place. I'm going
2: with "Ripples." Dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> as Mike said, it's it's for me that song hits me emotionally. Every time, mm-hmm. uh, I get just once it starts, I gotta listen to the whole thing. I love hearing live versions of it, whether it's from the Duke tour or from the Turn It On Again tour. Uh, just always does it for me. I love the video, everything about <laughs> it.
0: Can I just say that every single time someone says their favorite track, suddenly, sudden you might Yeah, that's my favorite yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> But that's the great thing about this album is that it's a it's a it's a embarrassment of riches, it is,
3: mm-hmm. Stacey. Um, Well, first, I have to say, well done, Phil Collins, um, with the vocals on this. I mean, I'm sure like he totally nailed it. And Mm. I'm sure that, you know, the band and and him probably the most were really apprehensive of how this would be Mm. received and and how it would all come out in the end. And what a way to start um, a phenomenal, you know, singing and songwriting career. but with that being said, I picked the one instrumental track <laughs> on the album, <laughs> which is Los Sendos. Right. But I have to say, at the same time, this is some of his best drumming yeah. With, yeah. with Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as Simon was saying earlier on, you know, the three phases of Phil's drumming, I think mm-hmm. this is my favorite phase mm-hmm. uh, of his drumming. As, as much as I love his gated drums from the 80s, which mm-hmm. is what really got me hooked into this whole world in the first place. Um, I just have so much love and time, um, for what he did on this album and this kind of period in mm-hmm. their, uh, in their career. So yeah, Los Endos, it's my all time favorite song to air drum to. <laughs> so if you see a woman frantically waving her arms in the car, it might be it's, you. I'm probably listening to Los
1: Endos. Don't be alarmed. not having a seizure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, final thought. Oh, wait, the poll. How did I forget Tom's poll? I it's sitting so right there. We're
3: looking forward to seeing your poll, yeah. Tom. <laughs> to
2: Eyes up percentage. here, Simon. Eyes up here. Tom shows you his poll.
3: All
2: right, well, I'll go start, obviously, with... Uh, there were no ties on this, so you mm. had eight places. Uh, the eight, Number eight and number seven place. You could probably guess what two songs those were. One was 1.5%, the other was 2.5% of the vote. Very small. Can you guess what those two were?
1: Um,
3: Ripples. I'm going to say
2: <laughs> Trigger the Tail and Madman Moon. The last track, as Simon said, he found it was the weak oh. spot of the album. Last Robert track, is number eight, Robber, Assault, and Battery. No!
4: <laughs> that actually
2: does surprise me
1: that that's, 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 that's so low. I would have thought that would have been a
2: middle of the pack song.
3: Whoever voted for that song, you're awesome. <laughs>
2: right. We can thank all That's five you, people. Actually. Yeah, all <laughs> five of you. <laughs> uh, number seven on the list, right above that, with only slightly, you know, one more percent, was Trick of the Tail. Okay. Okay,
3: yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah.
2: All right. Then moving slightly higher up at mm-hmm. sixth place, with eight, with nine percent of the vote, was Squonk. Really?
3: Yeah, yeah I thought that'd That's be higher not, up, yeah. actually. I
2: but rounding out the top four was Madman Moon. Wait, oh, sorry, wow. the, the bottom four was Madman Moon with almost ten percent of the vote. But
1: higher than Swan—that's that's, than that's Squanch. fascinating. To yeah, me. that is.
2: Then you kind of the votes jump a lot higher. There's a okay. big distance between number five From and number four. four yeah. With fourteen percent of the vote was Losendos. Okay. Mm, okay. And going up to almost twenty percent at number oh. three was Ripples. I'll mm, right, we'll okay. take it. What? all right and it's were, a
0: very popular song you really? have
2: yeah, the top three between ripples number two and number one there wasn't a lot of difference mm, between right. them but there was a difference and number two at 20 percent was entangled wow 21 okay. percent yeah and yeah. so the top favorite track was dance on a volcano with 22 percent wow that's okay that's my favorite song <laughs> well that's <laughs> what you
3: picked as your yeah, favorite yeah. wasn't yes. it <laughs> okay.
4: Okay.
1: People
0: spoken, you're confusing so. me i'll be honest with you that's a tough album to rate, yeah. right? My is, my personal yeah. my personal opinion is that this has to rank among one of their strongest records. Yeah,
3: I think if we if we put up that poll a year from now, it would be a completely different result. Yeah,
2: right. Any <laughs>
0: of the except top- for robbery, assault and battery.
3: <laughs> yeah, probably except
2: for robbery Any assault, of the top four, dance, entangled, ripples, ripples yeah. or Los Endos Yeah. Could yeah. be my top There's, at any other yeah. given day.
1: And again, even with you know, we were kind of, you know, talking about robbery, assault and battery before. It's not a bad song. No, it's no. just that it's, you know, and and even amongst the tabletop it's not. Let's consistent not go through this
3: again. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like but it is but
1: there's not a bad song there. So, you know. Well, that's fantastic. What's uh any final thoughts on the album? The last of the Genesis Studio albums.
2: I just think as nervous as I might have been going into this album, they had zero reason to be nervous once it was complete. Yeah. They were on their way to bigger, better things and this album just showed that they had it, they had the confidence, they had the playing was at their best, songwriting was at their best. And mm-hmm. I I think people who wrote them off after Peter left um probably listened to this and said, Oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna still follow them. And uh yeah, they just from here they just skyrocketed.
3: It reminds me of, um, I think there was a Peter Gabriel interview where he was like, they probably think I didn't do, after hearing <laughs> yeah. this album and seeing them in concert for The Trick of the Tail he was like, Genesis parents probably think I didn't do anything in Genesis right. after right. Uh, yeah. I left.
1: He said it's like it went from people thought he did everything yeah. before he left to then he leaves and they think he didn't do anything because they produced this. So, yeah, it's it it's It's interesting when you have a band that has five writers in it, like Genesis had. And, you know, there were certainly senior and junior members of that writing team. But they were able to produce, and they were able to produce a great album when they needed a great album. They couldn't have put out, and then there were three at this point.
3: Yeah, and I think most people, you know, do better under pressure. Maybe this this band is a, a case in that, where it's like... The stakes are higher than just mm-hmm. oh we should probably release something next year because we have a tour to plan right. kind of thing. This was had a little bit more weight to it, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm grateful for that because it gave mm-hmm. us something so incredible that still sounds so good today. Yeah,
0: I think that this is an album that is a
1: team effort, but the underlying engine room was Tony Banks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's I I think none of us would argue with you, especially Tony Banks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, uh, he he was the engine that was producing things and keeping the momentum going for this band. And, you know, that's, you know, while they were off doing their brandettes, acolyte, geese work, mm-hmm. he's wittering away going, oh, I got these tracks from back in the day and I got some new bits and I got different things that I can present to the band and was able to kind of be the engine that kept things going.
0: So. He's, he, you know, and I'm not saying that sort of this album is brilliant because of Tony Banks but this album is brilliant because Tony Branks, he'd gone done and brung it, and the uh, and the rest of the band members responded yeah, raise, in kind.
1: Yes, they all raised their game with this. So, so yeah. So with that being said, I am Mike Lord. I'm Tom. I'm Stacey. And I'm Simon. And we will leave you with Tabletop Jazz. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have the shows automatically and magically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, Follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis. And you can also email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes.